the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up in our first hour, we're going to give an update on uh, something that Kobe Bryant's widow uh, put on Instagram. And then we're going to talk to John Wentz. He's going to be in studio for a couple segments. You are listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday and welcome to The Common Good. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we are grateful for those of you who do. You're pretty excited. You got uh, a friend coming in here, uh, what, 4, 420 or so? Mm-hmm. John Wentz, you've yeah, been he, you've been chasing him for a while to have him on the show. I'm pretty yeah. excited. Uh, I don't know him, but I'm excited to talk to him he's, from all you've said. He's my Tim Tebow. <laughs> uh, we are going to talk about Tim Tebow later on in today's show. So very excited about that. Not to Tim Tebow, oh. about Tim Tebow. Uh, but yeah, stick with it. John Wentz is going to be in studio. John is from Alpha USA, but uh, that only scratches the surface, or so you tell me about what we can talk to him about. <laughs> funnel, you had me at funnel cakes, so we're going to discuss mm-hmm. funnel cakes with mm-hmm. him. Uh, but anyway, that's going to be uh, for a little while here in the first hour. But I did want to start, uh, even though it's a little bit hard. We, you and I talked uh, when it happened a couple days in a row about the Kobe Bryant uh, helicopter crash that uh, tragically killed Kobe Bryant, killed his daughter, Gigi, and seven other people uh, in California as they were on their way uh, to a basketball game. And uh, what it really seems is coming out pretty definitively now is that it was just uh, a freak accident in which the pilot got caught up in some fog. And uh, I don't know if that's <laughs> that, that's almost too simple, right? They're like, oh, he was like, you know, a couple hundred feet from getting out of the fog. And you're right. just like, oh, my gosh, it, it just reminds us of like just kind of the tenuous nature of all of this. And uh, Vanessa Bryant, uh, Kobe's wife, and obviously – uh, mom of Gigi has has been posting a little bit online, uh, but she just gave an Instagram post yesterday uh, that I think uh, bravo to her, and not that she did it for this reason, but man, does it give just a glimpse into the grief process? Hmm. And, and so I thought I'd give it a read just because uh, there are a lot of us out there going through various stages of grief, whether it be right. uh, you know a loss of a loved one loss of a dream, it might be uh, loss of your health, whatever it might be. Loss is just a part of this world. Now, Vanessa Bryant has gone through a loss that is beyond what hopefully many of us will ever have to go through. But uh, she wrote something really poignant on on Instagram yesterday. So let me read it. And uh, I'd love to hear just your reaction, not just to a mom grieving, uh, but also to what it tells us about the grief process. So she wrote this. Uh, She wrote, my brain refuses to accept that both Kobe and Gigi are gone. It's like I'm trying to process Kobe being gone, but my body refuses to accept my Gigi will never come back to me. It feels wrong. Why should I be able to wake up another day when my baby girl isn't being able to have that opportunity? I'm so mad she had so much uh, life to live. 
I know what I'm feeling is normal. It's part of the grieving process. I just wanted to share in case there's anyone out there that's experienced a loss like this. God, I wish they were here and this nightmare would be over. Praying for all of the victims of this horrible tragedy. Please continue uh, to pray for all. And it's, this was on Instagram, and, and so it was a message, but then with a video going of of basically uh, his her daughter playing basketball and of Kobe coaching her and some of the other victims from this tragedy as well. Uh, so when you read what she wrote, and it's his, you know, it's the world of social media, it's just a glimpse into some very private pain. Uh, when you read what she wrote, uh, what, what, what did you think? I mean, I think it's really brave of her to do it at all, to be honest. You know, when I try to even conceive of what it must be like to walk a mile in her yeah. shoes, I'm like, I, I don't, my instinct would be I don't want to see or talk to anybody for a year. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to the woods or something. And I know that that's not healthy either. I'm not saying that's. That's not prescriptive. That's yep. just more confessional. Uh, but the piece that kind of stood out to me was toward the end when she says, praying for all the victims of this horrible tragedy. Like, what an incredible posture in the midst of your own grief to call people and to to share that she's praying for the other people that are hurting. Like, yeah. that to me, when I first read it, was like, how do you even have space in your head and heart to be thinking about anybody else's grief other than your own? But and we talked about this in a different segment last week, too, how some of these things, like her post reads almost like a modern-day prayer of lament. It really does. And this crying out to God, God, I wish they were here and this nightmare would be over, um, I'm sure only scratches the surface of how she's actually feeling, but like, how honest is that? And this idea that God meets us in our grief, in our struggle, in our sorrow, and not just in the flowery and the victorious and the triumphant. I don't know. There, I mean... It breaks my heart. My wife and I, we're still sort of new parents. So we've had a number of conversations about maybe we should never travel together. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, you go to these places thinking about the practicality of, oh my goodness, can you even imagine living in that nightmare? And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful that her courage here actually will serve as some sort of healing or comfort to somebody else that maybe doesn't even know them just yeah. because she had the boldness. That's why I think sharing grief is so important. Yeah. It's why my instinct to run away to the woods for a year <laughs> would be so unhelpful, not just for me, but for the people yeah. that, that could benefit from hearing that. And uh, yeah, I, I just say bravo to her and prayers and love from Chicago. Yeah. I, I just can't even imagine. There's another part of this that they didn't quote here, but um, where in her full post, she talks about not wanting to go on, but then realizing she has to get up every day for her three other daughters, Natalia, Bianca, and Capri. And that's both heartbreaking, but also it's it's such a beautiful picture of the grief process. Like, right. even the one who is most affected, this, your life has to go on right. in the midst of all of this. And uh, like I you said, imagine. prayers for them. I think the thing I most appreciated that she wrote uh, was when writing about her daughter, uh, when she just wrote, I'm so mad. Yeah, right. Because how many times um, we would expect I'm so sad, uh, I'm heartbroken, which she is. Right. Uh, but it's also, especially those of us who are Christ followers, a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to express anger. Yeah, right. Uh, and she should be angry. Like the randomness of what happened and what was taken away from her and her family uh, and, uh, you know, the the – comment she her daughter had so much life to live uh and and i'm so mad and i think that's a real important part of the healing and the grieving process yeah I is agree. for people to express their anger 
over the unfairness of death and the brokenness of this world. What do you think it is that keeps us oftentimes from being able to say I'm mad? We can easily say I'm sad, but mad isn't usually what we come with. Do you think that it's something that we in general struggle with? Or are you speaking to like Christ followers in particular? It's mm, a good question. I think uh, it might be somewhat unique to the Christ follower because we're not sure that we should be mad at God, God's sovereign, God's in control. Or mad in general, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <clears throat> so you think the sovereignty, the posture of sovereignty Maybe. has some effect on that? It could. I think um, anger is a tricky one because I, I probably struggle with anger to an unhealthy degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember hearing a preacher years ago. He said he was preaching on anger and was talking about when you anger, do not sin. You know, that passage mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is often misinterpreted. In your anger, yeah. And he said, some of you in this room, you need to confess. You need to repent for always getting angry. Others of you in this room need to repent for never getting angry. Hmm. There's stuff in this world, injustice and tragedy and loss, that we should be angry about. And so it was It was this very weird equalizing, like, yeah, yeah, some of you legitimately have an anger problem. Hmm. And you need, to, you need to repent. You need to turn around from that. Absolutely. Others of you, though, you don't get fired up about anything. <laughs> and as Christ followers, you should. You should be angry at abuse and exploitation and marginalization. And I thought, oh, that was always a helpful yeah. teeter-totter for me. Like, okay, be angry, but about the right things and in the right way. And I, I think um, I think she's modeling that. That's a, that's a great point. And using Instagram in a powerful way, it had been liked or shared. I saw you yesterday by just millions of, not shared, but liked by or commented on by millions of people yesterday. And so uh, hopefully some people are being blessed in the, uh, through her pain even. Uh, but as you said, be praying for that family. They're uh, for most of us, this is a week or a two-week story. For them, their life has it's, been altered exactly, forever. And right. the other families, what's the name? The dad and the mom and the daughter, the Altabellis, they had, I saw on the mm-hmm. Today Show this morning, the funeral was yesterday. Uh, and so there's two other kids there to be praying for. So be praying for the families. Uh, but you can read that. That one's all over. You will put it on our on our Facebook page. Coming up next, John Wentz uh, from Alpha USA is going to join us for a little while here in studio. We're excited to talk to John next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. And uh, we always, uh, we, we say this, this has become our refrain, that we like to talk to each other, but our favorite thing is having studio guests come in and spend some time with us, give us their wisdom. And with that in mind, we are thrilled to be joined for a couple segments by John Wentz. John, thank you for joining us in studio today. Yeah, thanks. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Yeah, a friend of Ian who he's been chasing. He's been chasing to have join us. <laughs> Physically and metaphorically. It's very fast. <laughs> That's funny. John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I live here in the Chicago suburbs, and I'm married. I've got three teenage kids that are all amazing. And <laughs> they are I, pretty amazing, actually. They, I'm very <laughs> blessed, actually. I have a wonderful family. And I have the opportunity to serve with a ministry called Alpha. And I've served for the last five years uh, with Alpha, and I get an opportunity to work with churches across all denominations, all across the country, and actually uh, doing some global work as well. 
And it has been an absolute joy uh, to be able to serve with Alpha. Yeah. And we're we're going to get into that, too. So make sure people know where they can learn more about Alpha, because mm-hmm. we'll come back to this a couple of times. What is there a website or a place people can go? Uh, yeah, you can learn more about Alpha at alphausa.org. Okay, right on. As a pastor, our church has done Alpha, and we're actually about to start it in another month or two here. But for people out there who might not know what Alpha is, why don't you explain a little bit of Alpha and, and kind of uh, its heartbeat and its goal? Yeah, Alpha started uh, many years ago in London, England, in an Anglican church, actually, that Mm -hmm. was really wanting to connect with people in their community. And they had realized that the community around them, the culture had shifted. People were no longer just showing up to church anymore. And when they did come, they were asking very different questions. And so Alpha, I, I like to describe Alpha as a great place to invite people to come and wrestle with the big questions of life mm-hmm. and maybe have spiritual conversations in a way that's not weird. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Do that over a meal and just learn and learn how to be human with people and uh, learn how to honor people. So, It's something that we as a church love and champion mm-hmm. and a bunch of our like alpha veterans were uh, just on a trip and they came back just glowing, just so amped. Mm-hmm. I, I, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but I, I want to get into some of your story first before we uh, revisit some of the office stuff, because you just have a fascinating like ministry origin story, but also family of origin story. Can you just give us give us some of that context? Yeah, I, I grew up in north central Illinois in a little town, 450 people, but I had this strange existence uh, where I grew up in the carnival, actually. (laughs) An actual carnival. You're not being uh, facetious. (laughs) Yeah, not metaphorically. (laughs) My my father was an iron worker. He got injured and took his insurance settlement money and built a root beer stand. And in 1982, uh, we began to sell root beer, and that morphed into funnel cakes, which are... You know, I'm pretty sure a sign of the kingdom of God. (laughs) And so, yeah, I was destined to come to know Jesus at some point. And we traveled around, though, you know, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, we had this incredibly diverse experience in the carnival. Mm. And as a kid, I grew up working and loving it. I got to serve with my family alongside of my dad, you know, long hours, hard work for sure. Right. But. Learned a lot about life, learned a, <laughs> learned a lot about people uh-huh. uh, from every background of, of our communities and uh, had a great time. So grew up in the carnival and, you know, did not grow up in the church. Really hmm. very little exposure to, to Christianity at right. all. Couldn't have told you five details about Jesus. Wow. Uh, but I did encounter a lot of people who told me I was going to hell. Mm. And at the, the carnival? Well, especially at the carnival, it seemed like no well-intentioned people that mm. were wanting to share their faith with me. Mm. Um, and what I took away from that was I was going to hell. But nobody ever really uh, gave me an opportunity to experience Jesus or mm. learn wow. more about him. Or at least I didn't latch on to that if they mm. were trying. And But my senior year in high school, I actually got invited. There was a a French foreign exchange student in my Spanish class who invited me to go to a Catholic retreat, Hmm. as often happens. (laughs) Tale as old as time. That's right. (laughs) French foreign exchange in Spanish class. I love it. And she she said, hey, why don't you go do this, what was called Teens Encounter Christ Mm -hmm. retreat? And Mm -hmm. I actually needed stuff on my scholarship applications for college, okay. for religious activities. Right. I had no religious activities. Yeah. And I said, hey, this could be a religious activity that I could include. <laughs> and so I went with all the wrong intentions of just being argumentative <laughs> and the disruptor in this Catholic retreat. And uh, they actually gave me a New Testament 
And it was the first time that I had heard stories about Jesus. Mm. And I very quickly, I just read through the New Testament. No kidding. And fell in love with the person of Jesus. Mm. And it was such a eye-opening experience for me. You know, they, they involved me. They said, hey, why don't you come back and help us on this next retreat? Yeah. I said, are you sure? I don't even really believe in Jesus. I think it's interesting, <laughs> but I'm not sure where I'm at with it. And they said, yeah, just come back and, and help out. And that experience of belonging was so formative wow. and I made great friends very quickly led me to a church that, you know, uh, in Streeter, Illinois. Yeah. And I think John Hughes was on a previous, he uh, was, yep. uh, you know, podcast with you guys. And it was actually his father that was speaking. And I felt like it's just the words were so, so rich and, hmm. and uh, led me to Christ. And in a more profound way where I made a decision that I wanted to follow him. Hmm. And very soon after that, whole nother story, probably another show for another time, I <laughs> uh, felt called into ministry. And mm-hmm. over the last 20 years have served in you know churches, mostly helping to start churches, hmm. uh, worked with college students for seven years, and most recently was on staff at Community Christian Church. That's right. Uh, back in 2012 to 2015, uh, where we began running Alpha. And I got scooped up to, to work with Alpha on a trip to London back in 2015 and have loved it ever since. That's amazing, man. That is. I, I want to go back to the carnival because it's so unique. <laughs> That's <laughs> what most kids say. I exactly. want to go back to the carnival. <laughs> it is a book right It's there. actually the theme of the show. <laughs> so let's go back to the carnival. I'm just curious, do you look back on your childhood and like, that was awesome? Or was it like, oh my gosh, that was so hard? Well, how do you look back on your childhood in the carnival? Yeah, well, I, I do appreciate some of the Enneagram. So it's my Enneagram <laughs> 7, I think. Yes, that, you know, perfect. wants to paint perfect memories over all my childhood. <laughs> I loved it, though. I, I, I am very grateful for the time that I got to experience the hard work that I was mm. able to uh, have shape my character. Right. Uh, the variety of people that I was able to meet from every you know, uh, swath of society. And I, I always say that, you know, if you really want to see America, yeah, you've got to go to your local, you know, carnival, you've got to go to the County fair. You've got to spend time with those people mm. and not just the guests that are there, but the people that are working, That's right. you know, you get to see and interact with people from so many backgrounds and it gives you a great appreciation for people and their stories and everything else. So yeah. I, yeah, I loved my, I absolutely loved my time growing up in the carnival. It wasn't a vacation. No, right, right. By, by any stretch, but it has a, a little bit changed my perspective now when I go to amusement parks, because I'm sad that I'm on the wrong side of the counter. <laughs> Still, I'd rather be taking the money as opposed to <laughs> shelling it over. Well, that I think we all feel. And do you, do you find that like looking back now, that was formative for you for ministry in particular? Like, oh, what I experienced in my childhood, that actually was working into me. Oh, well, I mean, that's the goodness of God. Is yeah, he's right. able to take any experience that right, we have right. growing up and, you know, mold it for his purposes. But yeah, I, I, there's lots of connections that I can draw awesome. to, to ministry today. That's and, awesome. And if you're out there and you've never had a funnel cake, you are, you are your, your well, life is struggling. Well, I, you know, I'm a bit of a funnel cake snob, <laughs> so I wouldn't say every funnel cake is equal. But you, can, I, you can learn more at funnelcake.org. I think. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that exists. We do like to put the fun in funnel cakes. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's not an ingredient. You might need to go somewhere. <laughs> Well, that voice hearing is John Wentz. John, uh, everything from working from Alpha now, or working for Alpha now, to working in the carnival as a kid and everything in between. John is going to stay with us uh, after our break. So stay with us as we continue with John Wentz. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. We are excited to be joined in studio for another segment by John Wentz. John, uh, spent the, if you didn't listen to the last segment, please hop on our podcast uh, because you can hear why he ended the segment saying he helps put the fun in funnel cake. Mm-hmm. That's all we're going to tell you. There's a story there, but you got to go back and listen to it. <laughs> what a teaser. My goodness. I know we're getting good at this radio thing, man. Uh, but your day job, right, is working with Alpha. And uh, as two pastors, we've we've talked. Our church does Alpha. You know, you guys have done Alpha. Um, but but maybe paint a picture as to uh, not just what Alpha does, but why you're passionate about it. Why do you love Alpha and believe in it? Yeah, I love Alpha. And for those that maybe are not familiar with what Alpha is, Alpha is a great place to invite people just to come and have conversations about life, wrestle, you know, with meaningful topics. And, uh, you know, we find that there's so many people that would love to have spiritual conversations, but don't know how to go about doing that. Right. You know, and and there's lots of people in churches even that would love to have spiritual conversations, but don't know how to find a place where they can do so in a way that's not judgmental. Mm -hmm. Or there's a lot of people that just feel ashamed that they maybe should know more Mm -hmm. than they do. And they don't have a good place to ask questions or don't feel like they can even ask questions in their church. On the other, you know, side of the uh, the tracks, maybe are a lot of people that have never been into a church and but are curious. And there's a lot of things that are happening in their life that have left them thinking that there's got to be more to life than what they're experiencing. Right. But they don't maybe have the best picture of you know church or you know just don't feel comfortable. I know so many people would say, "Oh gosh, if I went in there, you know, the lightning's gonna." Strike right, me down. Right. Roof's going to cave in. And, you know, so Alpha is a great place to invite people to have conversations about life. That Each week there's a meal. I always say church is really about food anyway. Yes. Right. right. And, you know, so Amen. have a good meal. Have, a uh, you know, an opportunity to hear, uh, you know, a basic element of the Christian faith. And then have open discussion where people can formulate questions. Maybe for the first time. They yes. don't even maybe know what their questions are. Right. Uh, they can ask anything. And we actually don't answer their questions Mm -hmm. and we give them space to wrestle with it. So the reason why I'm passionate about it is because I was one of those people Mm. that was curious to know more, Mm. maybe a little antagonistic at the same time. And (laughs) once I got an opportunity, there there was this one guy that I met who was a Catholic gentleman and he just asked me, you know, what, what issues do you have with Jesus? And I didn't. Mm. have any issues with Jesus. I, I, I didn't know anything about Jesus. Mm. And they gave me space to begin to formulate my own questions. Yeah. And I just think that's a real gift to give people yeah. is just space to think and uh, and wrestle with the big questions of life. Yeah, that's so neat. If I could just brag on Alpha a little bit too, because like we're big fans and a massive percentage of our baptisms every single year at Community, the L-Box in particular, are people that were sort of introduced to Jesus at Alpha uh, meets in our building, so I'm often attracted by the smell of food from, uh, from a family of nine people, so I always find myself there. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, Alpha even went through a pretty massive revamp of their content a couple of years ago. Like, for those yeah, of you who are wondering, like, yeah, but is it quality stuff? Like, go to alphausa.org, look at the videos. Yeah. All it's, the resources are it's free. It's remarkable, yeah. right? You know, you, that's, the, that's one of the things it's that we amazing. feel so passionate about is we just want to serve the church. We want to equip yeah. the church to do what the church is meant to do. It's amazing. It's also incredibly ecumenical. I didn't realize there was like Alpha Catholic and Alpha, like we yeah. host some of yeah. the conferences at the Yellow Box and it's like 
all these denominations, all these different kind of expressions coming together That's right. for the purpose of creating space. Can you talk to me about some of the, the unifying aspect, the global mm-hmm. aspect of Alpha? Yeah. Well, it turns out we all like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, Who for knew? the most part, it's the same Jesus. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> And, you know, so it's the it's the basics of the gospel. You know, it's yeah. not the entirety. Alpha is just the beginning. So, yeah. you know, we cover the core elements of the Christian faith. And so we have an opportunity with that then to serve every major denomination. It's amazing. And, you know, we just did our national conference last week in Phoenix, Arizona. And it was so beautiful to have, you know, people from across the denominational spectrum, across the ethnic spectrum mm. coming together and really, it feels like the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You know, we pray, God, may your kingdom come. Yes. Well, there's a lot of people in the kingdom. And, you know, we get a, a chance to all come and, you know, hold our hands up to Jesus. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the point is, that. is how can we all serve Jesus? So the unifying element is beautiful where we've got, you know, people praying for Catholics and vice versa, honoring one another, mm-hmm. respecting, and, and really it's the culture of Alpha just to listen and honor mm-hmm. people regardless of their background and their perspective and try to understand yeah. where people are coming from. And that sense of understanding just uh, opens the floodgates for grace to come in. And where there's you know grace and freedom and truth, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I love that, man. And now food does, we, we joked about it, but it plays a huge role in Alpha and that might surprise some people. Like, you know, you got to get them in, give them the message, get them out. People don't have much time. But talk about that element of food and why that is so foundational to Alpha. Yeah, well, food is a very human thing. Mm-hmm. We all eat. Yeah. And, right. you know, there's so many cultures where food and hospitality uh, are just the core of their society. Yeah. And I think for us in, in the West, we've lost a bit of that. In certain realms, I mean, certain ethnicities, you, you always gather around food, always. even with right. your enemies. Right. You know, food is just part of what brings you together. And mm. it's a very spiritual thing as Christ followers. We know, you know, uh, you know, the Bible starts in a garden yes, right. with fruit. <laughs> it ends at a banquet in yes. the middle. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's food all throughout the Passover, obviously, you know, mm. being such a uh, an elemental part mm. of how we worship. So food, hospitality is core, I think, just to bringing people together. And, you know, it's nice. Yeah, I can tell my neighbor or anybody, say, hey, well, let's just come and eat. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to get to know you more and understand right. where you're coming from. And something about food just brings some of those barriers down yeah. where instead of being, you know, intellectual opponents, we could just be people. Right. It is remarkable, too, because I, I meet people every week, it seems, that will say kind of what you said at the beginning of your story, that I, I'm not sure how I feel about this or I'm, right. I'm not really ready to sign on any kind of dotted line. To have the confidence to say, let me just point you to the next alpha. Like mm-hmm. it is just as a pastor, I want to say thank you because it's, I think it's been life changing for our church sure. and I know a lot of other people. And I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the hurdles that you found with helping churches understand the value that alpha can bring? Like what are some of the disagreements or, or obstacles that you can predict? Maybe somebody listening like, oh, this sounds a little too good to be true. Or I don't, I don't know if you have any experience with that. Yeah, well, surprising. Uh, surprisingly, there's a you know a huge wave of churches now. Yeah. I think that are realizing that culture has shifted. Mm-hmm. People are no longer just showing up to our churches when right. we do programs, when we do yeah, events, big days, invite a friend day. People right. aren't just showing up. Right, right. And I, I like to say that churches have lost the front porch mm. to their communities, mm. and you know societally, 
we've lost the front porch space mm. where you can have a casual conversation with somebody. You're either fully in mm-hmm. or you're not. Right. And, Interesting. you know, so metaphorically, that front porch, I, I lived in several neighborhoods where we had front porches and we would spend time on the front porch and our neighbors would come over and, you know, you, you'd be able to sit down and have some conversations without them going all the way into your house. Right. And thank goodness. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's true. For both. Uh, yeah. For both of us. It's a, it could be a little bit too intimate and our house may not be clean right. for them to come into. Right. Yep. And right. the front porch then creates that easy space. And mm. I think Alpha is like that for the local church where people get an opportunity to just come and explore. Mm. They know there's something missing. And it gives people in our churches an opportunity to maybe come out onto the front porch yeah, right. where they could feel a little bit more comfortable asking some of their questions mm-hmm. yes. and interacting. But, you know, churches for a variety of reasons, I mean, you can imagine, <laughs> you know, we've got churches of all, you know, varieties uh, that have different needs that they're yep. looking to fulfill. But I think Alpha is a, a beautiful expression. And it's just very simple food plus the gospel plus love yeah. mm-hmm. and community. That's a that's a pretty that's uh, not the love right potent recipe. That's great. That's great. Well, you're listening to John Wentz. He is kind enough that he's going to stick around and join us for a, stay with us for one more second, uh, one more segment. <laughs> you're just here for a, one and more second. Thank you. One more second. <laughs> Have a great life. Everybody. There it is. Uh, he's going to stick around, so we'd encourage you to do so as well. You're listening to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are uh, thankful to be joined again in studio by John Wentz. John uh, is here. Uh, John works for Alpha. We just talked a lot about Alpha. So, John, thank you for continuing to join us. We really appreciate it. Wonderful to be here. John, I also know personally, because I know you as a human person in (laughs) real space and time, uh, we've shared conversations and meals, and uh, you've been kind enough to have our family over to your house, which... We could. We should have you back on just to talk about that evening because we should have you back over to our house. <laughs> That's really what I was alluding to. Actually, I was just trying to have like a public record. You are welcome to come. <laughs> Friday nights are great. Thanks so much. You could do the show from there. Yeah, perfect. Why, why not? Uh, but I also know that prayer is not only a really important aspect of uh, your life and ministry, but also for Alpha. Can you speak a little bit to the role of prayer and what you do? Yeah, I mean, the role of prayer on Alpha is so foundational. To everything we do, we say Alpha is. I love this. Alpha is perfectly designed to fail unless God shows up. (laughs) It it really is not that difficult of a Mm. thing to pull off. Mm. Um, But the secret sauce of Alpha is really prayer. We're just praying for people and we're praying that they experience the love of God. They experience the love of God in community. Mm. And uh, so many people need to experience that. So we just pray for people and behind the scenes and the role of prayer is very behind the scenes on Alpha. Hmm. So if you were to invite somebody to Alpha, we're not, when they show up, there's not even going to be a, a prayer for the meal. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> it's probably when we introduce the topic of prayer at about week five hmm. that we would pray for the very first time on Alpha. Wow. And the, the whole reason for that is so many people, you know, their, their perspective on prayer when mm-hmm. they come from outside the church is, oh, gosh, these people are going to try to convert me. Right. They're going to annoy me with oil. Yeah. They're going to go weird on me. And I I just don't want that. Or, you know, if I invite a Muslim friend, Mm -hmm. you know, how can I invite them to a meal and pray in Jesus name over the food? And, you know, I could make, uh, make for a space where they just wouldn't feel welcome. Right. Right. We want everyone to feel welcome. We want to create a space where it's like, yeah, you can come, but behind the scenes, gosh, we, we love to pray for people. And then on the, on alpha, uh, we get to a space where we do talk about the Holy Spirit because mm-hmm. that's a very core element mm-hmm. of 
Christianity and give guests an opportunity to be prayed for. And many people have never had an opportunity to have someone pray for them. And in a very gentle, uh, non-intrusive way, where it's very simple and actually in, includes a lot of silence. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a, it's a great opportunity for people to experience God for themselves. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great line. We're perfectly designed to fail without God showing up. What would you think, as someone who's been around lots of churches and Christianity, what would happen if the church embraced that? Well, how would things look <laughs> different? Uh, well, there's so many churches that are yeah. embracing that. And I right. think they're realizing, you know, <clears throat> several years ago, I mean, John Wimber, who helped start the vineyard movement. Uh, He shares in his own personal story of ministry that he got to a place where uh, in his interaction with God, he felt like God told him at one point, you know, John, I've seen your ministry and now I want you to see mine. Wow. Mm. And I think that resonates with me. It resonates with so many pastors I know who have done ministry for a very long time, worked very hard, poured themselves out as Paul writes. Yeah. And are maybe even thinking to themselves, there's got to be more to ministry than this. Yeah, right. And when churches and when church leaders get to a place where they say, all right, I, I want to see God's ministry now. And it, this can't just be about the predictable uh, things that we can put together. Our best efforts are not enough. What right. we do as a church is perfectly designed to fail. Mm. I mean, think about what we do as a church. Right, right. You know, it's perfectly designed to fail mm. unless God shows up. And I think we're so many churches are experiencing a slow decline because, you know, it, we're perfectly designed to fail. Yeah. And we need to recapture the heart of prayer at the core of everything that we do. That's great. So what would you say to the person? Because the thing that I love about the show is we actually have a pretty diverse audience. And not everyone that listens is a is a Christ follower or sure. even necessarily interested in going to church or Jesus. Um, but also some are pastors and missionaries. What would you say to the person who's hearing you talk and they're realizing like, yeah, I've been doing a lot of stuff in my own strength. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of good stuff even, you know, Absolutely. not, not uh, stuff Absolutely. on paper that someone says, oh, that's criminal. Like it's good stuff and contributing good stuff to the world, but they're in their heart of hearts. And that's probably where that begins is this conviction. Like I'm actually, I'm talking about depending on the Holy Spirit, but I'm still like creating a safety net for myself in case God doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. Or what would you? Because I know that you not only lead an organization, but you also have a very pastoral heart. What do you say to the person that's oh, well, struggling in that in that regard? Yeah, well, I remember when I first got involved with Alpha, there was this prayer that they would often pray, mm-hmm. and it was the prayer, "Come, Holy Spirit." Yeah, and now that's not a new prayer for people from a denominational background, or maybe right. that has been part of a liturgy. But it was a new prayer to me. I would say, why would you have to pray, come Holy Spirit? Mm. Kind of seems new agey or, mm-hmm. you know, like you're invoking something. Like mm. God's everywhere. Right, the Holy right, Spirit's right. already here. Why do you have to invite him to come? Mm. And then I remember this thought came to my head. Like if you're standing in front of an audience, you know, maybe Bill has, or Sandy have been sitting in the back. They've been there the whole time. Right. But if you were to invite them to come up on stage, yeah. give them the microphone and let mm. them share their story. Uh, let them minister to the people. Right. They would. Mm. But if you don't invite them to come up, they'll just remain there. Right. But they'll remain unactivated. Really. Right. And the Holy Spirit's the same way. Interesting. I think he's always there. He's always present in our lives. But when, when we invite him to come and then we stop talking. Yeah. Right. And we give him space to do whatever he wants to do. That's when I think God begins to uh, minister to people in a very powerful way. Uh, gentle, but profound way. And so, you know, that's my advice to anybody in ministry is just invite the Holy Spirit to come and then wait Mm. and give space. 
for God to do whatever he wants to do to speak to us. Yeah. I love that. Man. That's a cool picture. Uh, we're going to take Ian's word at this. That you, He said uh, he has said on multiple occasions since you got here that uh, that you've got impressive kids. You've got teenagers. You said you like your family. Uh, I've got teenager. I have a teenager and some that are about to be teenager. Maybe a word of advice to parents out there who are like, I don't know. I have teenagers and it's killing me. <laughs> or it's just yeah. maybe a word of parenting advice. It might be simple. It might be a little more complex. Just an encouragement to parents out there. Yeah. Well, just don't give up. I mean, <laughs> just, I, honestly, I mean, every family is so unique and so different. And I think you just have to keep going and you've got to keep loving and you've got to keep learning and, and remain humble. Yeah. Uh, I'm blessed. My wife is absolutely incredible. And I, I think she has shaped our kids in so many great ways. And I remember her early on saying when our kids were little, you know, uh, that she wanted to hold our kids closer than most when they're young. Mm. And then as they get older, uh, let them go sooner Mm. than most. Oh, interesting. And I think early on, those early years, you know, we were very intentional. My wife was very intentional to be home, to be present as much Mm. as possible. She she still worked, you know, uh, part-time because we had to, but we were very intentional to spend a lot of time with our kids early. And then, you know, as they get older, to give them lots of freedom, as much as they can earn, Yeah, but give them room to fail. Mm. They have to create their own stories. Yeah. And their own stories of redemption, even at times. But I think we've got to trust our kids. And, and really, oh gosh, there's so much you know yeah, to talk yeah. about. But that's what I'd say is just don't give up. And if you've got young kids, hold them close. You know, right. and spend lots of time with them. And when they get older, give them give them the freedom that they earn. That's well, we good. and we definitely do love the Wentz family and the Simpkins household. Your wife and your eldest actually were on this show when they were amazing. remarkable. Like it was amazing how many people were writing me saying, um, how do I get my kids to that point? Because that, <laughs> that, that seems incredible. So that's first off, I just want to them. say, yeah, that's credit right. to them. You know, I don't want to take credit for their successes, just like I don't want to take credit for their failures. Yeah. Which you never have. And I do, I appreciate, I just want to, you know, go on record just to let you guys know how much we love and appreciate you guys. You guys have meant so much to us and to our church and to our community. And I'm, I'm curious just in the last 30 seconds or so, um, for anyone who's listening, who's heard of Alpha or never sure. heard of Alpha, how can we be praying for the ministry of Alpha and what you sense God is sort of stirring in, in the midst of all of that? Yeah, well, I think we are in a cultural moment that is demanding us to try new things. Mm. And if you've never tried Alpha, or if your church has never tried Alpha, mm-hmm. I just encourage you to go to alphausa.org. Yep. You can get all of our resources for free. And we want to equip your church. We want to equip you to help people discover and develop a relationship with Jesus. So give it a try and mm-hmm. pray like crazy. I love and, it, man. and then just love your neighbors. Yeah, Have a great time. So good. Have fun. So good. <laughs> Put the fun back in funnel cake. Put the fun back in funnel cake. That's where we end up. John, thank you so much for joining us. Really uh, generous with your time here. You've been listening to John Wentz. Again, go to alphausa.org, right? That's org. right. Yep. Uh, you can learn a lot more about Alpha. Uh, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so 
they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about a new article that came out in The Atlantic about the nuclear family. We're also going to talk about something great that Tim Tebow and his wife did uh, to help make special needs teenagers feel special. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this uh, Tuesday evening. Five o'clock evening? By five o'clock, you say evening or still afternoon? <laughs> the fact that you're asking me about anything having to do with proper grammar is <laughs> astounding to me. I have no idea. I think five o'clock feels like a legitimate uh, a break right there. Now, do you break as in like time for a nap? <laughs> <Or>? <laughs> to go from <laughs> that post-dinner nap, to go from <laughs> afternoon to evening, five o'clock feels right to me. I mean, that's the problem with grammar, though, Brian, Yeah, is because so much of what feels right is horrifically wrong. Like at 11.30 a.m., would you still tell someone good morning or would you tell them good afternoon? Yeah, I would still say good morning. You'd still say good morning. Then at noon, that one's a little more on the nose because it's not afternoon. <laughs> it's it's still before in the word. noon. Yeah, that description is a little more... For me, that's always been my problem with those types of tests, though. Like, which sentence is correct? And I'm like, oh, shoot. They all sound they all correct. Sound correct. <laughs> I'm I clearly not doing this well. My kids are of the age now where they can uh, watch The Office with me, which is a wonderful yeah, stage to be, to be awesome. in. And there was the one yesterday where they were in, the sta- in their uh, like uh, conference room, and they got in a huge debate about whether to, when to use who and whom. And I was like, this is brilliant because none of us know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, do you ever find yourself Googling the same question over the course of a year? Yes. Like things like who or whom. Yeah. I'm like, I know I just looked this up three months ago and <laughs> yeah. I already forgot. I uh, One stuck with me. We don't have time to talk about any of this. Yeah, we but, do. Um, my brother, who's a lawyer and a really, really um, talented linguist, just good with words. I wrote a blog or something back when I used to do that. And I, w- I would say the phrase um, uh, begs the question. Oh. And he wrote this big, long thing. He goes, begs the question does not mean raises the question. It's a completely different thing. And I, he sent me a link, and I read it five times. I was like, <laughs> I still don't understand, but I have stopped saying it, and I can't help hear it everywhere else it now. begs the question, yeah. Which begs the question, and I can hear my little my little brother go, that's not what that means. Somebody, there was somebody, I can't remember the, the phrase. Somebody just the other day said something, like one of those types of phrases. Yeah. And not only used it incorrectly, said it incorrectly. <laughs> and I had this inner moment of like, dude, nah, nah not worth it. <laughs> just right. gonna let that. One I think go. that's wisdom and maturity. Go, <laughs> not a hill to die on. Just gonna let that go. Well, uh, the Atlantic, uh, and I'm gonna warn everybody. This was a colossally ro- long article. I almost said wrong. It was not wrong. It was good. A colossally long article by David Brooks at the cover article of the Atlantic. So you can find it at theatlantic.com. And uh, essentially this, the nuclear family, he says, was a mistake. And so he's talking about the nuclear family. He says the family structure we've held up as the cultural ideal for the past half century has been a a catastrophe for many. And it's time to figure out better ways to live together. So when I saw that, I was like, well, that's fascinating. 
And what we don't have time to get into, but what he does, what makes this article so long, is he goes back into the 1800s and talks about the family structure, hmm. okay, that it used to be about clans, extended families. Right. And then, uh, especially in, the, uh, in America in the 50s and the 60s, it became about the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. So we, we started um, not distancing ourselves, but detaching ourselves from aunts and uncles and grandparents, and it became about the nuclear family, hmm. the Mom, dad, and kids, okay? Mm. And he makes the argument about how well that worked in from, say, 1950 to 1965. But he says, we've tried to keep that going, and it's actually not working anymore. Mm. So let me read to you, because as I said, this is a really long article, but let me read to you kind of, uh, kind of a money section, and I'd love your feedback on this. Money section? <laughs> yeah. Is it about money? Nope. I understand. When we discuss the problems confronting the country, Brooks writes, We don't talk about family enough. It feels too judgmental, too uncomfortable, maybe even too religious. Hmm. But the blunt fact is that the nuclear family has been crumbling in slow motion for decades. And many of our uh, many of our other problems with education, mental health, addiction, the quality of labor force stem from that crumbling. We've left behind the nuclear family paradigm of 1955. For most people, it's not coming back. Americans are hungering to live in extended and forged families in ways that are both new and ancient. This is a significant opportunity, a chance to thicken and broaden family relationships, a chance to allow more adults and children to live and grow under the loving gaze of a dozen pair of eyes and be caught when they fall by a dozen pair of pairs of arms. For decades, we've been eating at smaller and smaller table with fewer and fewer kin. And then he goes on to Mm. argue that needs to change when tables need family tables need to be bigger. Uh, wondering your thoughts just about his premise, but about that section in particular. Yeah, I think that's, um, I, man, I think that's so true. It actually, it's a little bit of what John Wentz was just talking to about even just the, the idea of the front porch, even yeah. in our geographic spaces, we've lost some of the, I was reading a book a couple of years ago about the migration from the front stoop to the back patio yeah. and even how that is a, a, another microcosm of how hyper, um, nuclear focus we've become, yep. which, um, and the article goes on to make some cases that it's not totally a bad thing. Obviously, we want families strengthened and you yep. know, parents and kids have a good relationship. And it goes on to talk about, you know, maybe it's early in the article, how everyone has their own screen now yeah. as opposed to when we used to gather together around one screen. Right. Um, but I think they're all I think they're all connected. I think what he says here is brilliant. He says, if you want to summarize uh, the changes in family structure over the past century, the truest thing to say is this. We've made life freer for individuals and more unstable for families. We've, we've made life better for adults but worse for children. We've moved from big, interconnected, and extended families, which help protect the most vulnerable people in society from the shocks of life, to smaller, detached nuclear families and married couples and their children, which give the most privileged people in society room to maximize their talents and expand their options. The shift from bigger and interconnected extended families to smaller and detached nuclear families ultimately led to a family system that liberates the rich and ravages the working class and the poor. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yep, yep. Because he's, he's saying that it, oftentimes the way our culture is set up now that some families just can't have anybody at home. Exactly, right. Because right. there might be more than one job right. or obviously uh, even if there's a two-parent home, even if this isn't about right. divorce, right? The two-parent home... Uh, for many families in many parts of the of our country, they it's not an option not to both work. Right, and so that's part of his premise as well. You're right. So, so what do you think about the? Um, how do you? How does someone listening to this actually go after a problem this big? It's a great point. Like, what do you like? What do you do other than just sort of scratch your head? And go, wow, Brooks, that's yep. depressing. 
Ah. All right, well, <laughs> yeah. see at the water cooler, like, how do you, what are the implications I, at a, yep, at a I micro think, level? I think it's the section that I read, which happens to be the close of the article about we need bigger tables. For some, that's family. Yeah. Like, uh, my wife and I are lucky enough to have most of our family be very local. Very local. Very local. And so, awesome. And so we are able to uh, not just rely on their help, but we are able to rely on their um they are able to have close relationships with my children, right? Yeah. And so, like when my wife and I went to Mexico uh, two weeks or three weeks ago, uh, we were able they were able to stay with family locally, yeah, and and we had great trust, and we knew that our kids would do well, right? But some of you out there, because we do live in a much more of a culture where people don't all live like clans in the same area, that you know, as uh, as the church. Uh, I think that we, you know, we talk about church being family a lot. Yep. And so the question is, what role does the church actually play in forming this community, that this familial community that Brooks is talking about, uh, that maybe ideally is done from a healthy, you know, family and extended family structure, but where that's not possible, right? Does the church step in? Does uh, you know, uh, is that the role that that Christ followers can play in one another's lives? Uh, because it's not enough to be like, well, I don't live by any of my family, so this doesn't work. You know, right. this is still an issue. And I think for me, reading this article also is just going, man, this is something to just have in my mind that this is a reality for a lot of people. Right. Well, and I, I like what he goes on to talk about, you know, historically, like during the Victorian area, the the, the area, the Victorian era. era. Yep. You say era? Era. Do you say era? Yeah. No, but I'm an era guy. Era sounds like, um, like, the noise you make when you're scratching a record for a hip hop song, <laughs> which is what I'm going like, for. Era, 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 the Victorian era. Anyway, it's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> oh, you love your hip hop. If there's yes. one thing I know about you, I love my Victorian hip hop. <laughs> my Victorian hip hop. Somebody, please find me some Victorian hip hop. Anyway, though, he talks about the home was the sacred place, a vestal temple, a temple of hearth watched over by household gods, before whose faces none may come but those. Who, whom they can receive with love. This idea that like the home wasn't just simply a shelter; it, mm-hmm. it was seen as this really deeply sacred space, which some people today arguably still see it that way, but in a very different way. Yeah. And we felt some of this even with two little ones at home. That sometimes, you know, extending the table can feel really taxing. Like we're just trying to stay point. awake long enough to put our children to bed. Yep. And maybe there's some grace there, you know, in terms of the stage of life. But when we talk about church's family. I don't know. I think that really does need to go deeper and wider than just simply we're kind to each other on Sundays. Great point. You know what I mean? The great point. Well, it's a fascinating article. Like we said, it's a really long article, but a great read. So we'll put that up on our Facebook page. We would encourage you to read it. That's David Brooks' cover story for The Atlantic this week. Uh, Well, coming up next uh, at a website called Preemptive Love, talking about how to wage peace in the comment section. We all are looking for peace. And uh, we're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life with Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Hope that you are having yourself a great Tuesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. Go ahead and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, uh, unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate it again, review it again. Again, I, I, don't, I don't think that helps. We're going to game the system. No, I don't. Can they uh, tell Alexa? <laughs> You're a jerk. Are you being for real? How am I the jerk here? 
How in the world? The, the running joke is you're just playing upon my forgetfulness. Watch. You can tell everyone I'm writing it on my hand right now to do tonight. I mean, Alexa. Does that, wife's does that ask, mean anything to anybody? I wonder why I have Alexa <laughs> written on my hand. Yeah, you might want to add some more context nope, to that one, man. Not at all. Just no? wrote Alexa on my hand. I'm just, I'm just saying. I didn't, I didn't ask you yesterday. That is true. Or uh, did I? Did I ask you yesterday? No, nope, you did not. Okay, you did not. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but I did not do it yesterday or today. Okay, I'm doing it tonight. Going to go to Alexa. This is what you said on Friday. What am I asking? That's what I said like three weeks ago. What mm-hmm. am I asking Alexa again? If you don't even know what you're asking Play Alexa. Play good. How are you? <laughs> Alexa. You're writing a reminder on your hand. Good. Not, not, even knowing, right not even knowing what you're supposed to be doing. I'm going to do it all. There you go. Do you like writing your hand like store? And then you go to the store and you're like, what am I supposed to get at the store? I just wrote no. store. I was told I don't do it anymore, but I was, to- except for right now, but I was totally <laughs> that kid in high school and college who wrote on their hand, like, quiz, <laughs> homework. Oh, shoot. What is the homework? It would get kind of rubbed out. You're like, oh, no. I think it says homework. Oh, yeah, so, no. But you can, we think you can find us by just speaking it into Alexa's, uh, uh, just speaking it to Alexa and say, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. <laughs> So, we have really derailed here. <laughs> How much time is left? Oh, not enough for me. And so uh, we're going to check that tonight. How would how to at preemptivelove.org, how to wage peace in the comment section, seven things you should do. So this is playing on just kind of uh, how uh, people can just use social media, comment sections, and to just drive uh, discord and just drive uh, not be peaceful. And uh, so here at preemptivelove.org, they've said how to wage peace as opposed to how to wage war in the comment section. Seven things you should do. This feels like even though this was written in 2017, right. this feels really timely because of uh, I see very little peace in comment sections, whether it be on our own articles at our own page or just in general, the way oh, people I feel like interact. our articles are OK. They're peace-ish. Sometimes it goes. Peace, peace light. Sometimes it goes a little bit. But, yeah, that's. But know. people tend to not go, how can I uh, bring peace to these comment sections? So I do find this helpful. Yeah, and it's written by Courtney Christensen and Ben Irwin. Our printout didn't put it there. I want to make sure we give props to yep. the authors. But I, I think in general, even though it's written a couple years ago, it reads like it was written yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I've read other articles. David Fitch actually was posting this weekend a little bit about how much we lose in not actually being able to read people's body language. If, mm. you know, if 80% of communication is nonverbal, part of what we miss and just simply commenting back and forth is a lot of the like subtle humanity of like, Oh, that thing I said actually had a weird effect on them and I'm not reading their tone or their eyebrows or their body posture. And so it's, I think a lot of that kind of contributes to how we often or why we often miss each other. So to me, this whole notion is actually pretty evergreen. Absolutely. And so they give us, uh, they say, if we really actually believe that love is the answer to conflict, uh, then why don't we act like it in the comment section? Facebook often feels like ground zero in the war of words. Yeesh. And so they go, here are seven ways to wage peace in the comment section. First one, let me read the first one. Read or watch, listen, etc. In in capitalization before you engage. Which seems like a no-brainer. Right. It it does. But (laughs) yes, our brains are wired to form opinions quickly, sometimes before we have all the facts. One study found it takes only a fraction of a second to form a lasting impression of a stranger. Hmm. It's even easier to react before we know what we're reacting to when not face to face. Resist commenting until you've read the whole article, watched the whole video or made your way through the whole post. Be willing to listen to someone else's perspective before adding your own. 
Yeah, how many times have you seen in an article where someone comments on the headline and then the person who posted is like, hey, Bob, did you read the article? Did you watch the video? Like, how many times a week do you feel like you see that interaction? All the time. It happens often. And we talked about before where people will comment something on, like, the Babylon Bee, and you're like, that's satire. Yeah. Like, right. Do the work. Do <laughs> right, the right, work. Right. And at the right. very base level, read the stuff. Or don't do the work and don't comment. That's also an option, right? If you don't, like, I don't have time right to read the article. Well, then don't maybe weigh in. Okay, yep. so number one, read, watch, listen before you engage. Number two, deal with your anger before you deal with the other person. Uh, this one, I feel like, is a lot harder to do. We've all been there. We've all felt the outrage coursing through our bodies when someone says something we find objectionable. Uh, add to that the fact that when someone challenges our core beliefs on social media, our brains treat it as an actual threat, which is a mm. very important note. And, well, it's not a great recipe for healthy dialogue. When you feel your intent temperature rising, take a minute to practice some calming exercises before you respond. Breathe, pray, meditate, vent to a trusted friend, or write down your most scathing response some, somewhere you can't accidentally push send and get it out of your system. Then take a deep breath and prepare yourself to respond with kindness, understanding, and love. I actually really like the practice of writing something out first. I'll often, I'll really do this. I'll write it like in a draft email or like in a Word doc, even more safe. Yep. Just write it, just look at it. And then read it back like, yeah, that's pretty mean. Uh, or I didn't yeah. really feel that, but that doesn't need to be on social media right now. That's good. And for some reason, getting it out of your system actually kind of helps. That's good. Number three, ask yourself what you hope to achieve. <laughs> Our motives can be incredibly complex, sometimes unknown even to us. We may feel genuinely passionate about an issue and at the same time want to put the other person in their place. All right. Before you start typing, ask yourself a, flu- a few exploratory questions. Why am I responding to this? What do I want to achieve with this interaction? What do I want the other person to get out of it? Hmm. There are many valid reasons to engage in civil debate online, to advocate for your point of view, to share overlooked facts or perspectives, to foster mutual understanding and respect. But if it's about winning or humiliating the other person, check yourself first. I I tweeted a few weeks ago. I said, can we stop with the mic drops, please? Those things are expensive. (laughs) (laughs) But it feels like everything's a clap back. Everything's like a hot take. You're like, is that really the point? All right, number four, this one's really practical. Turn the caps lock off. <laughs> Resist the urge uh, to, to what? Internet yell. Oh, internet yell. Resist the urge to internet yell by using all caps. Same goes for excessive use of emojis or exclamation points. It's, dis- it's disrespectful to the other person. It doesn't do anything to advance the conversation, and chances are it will discourage people from hearing you out. Also, even a well-intentioned emoji is famously subject to misinterpretation. Roughly 93% of conversation is nonverbal, according to some experts. That's 93% of our ability to communicate that we lose when we debate online. All caps, emojis, exclamation parts, uh, exclamation parts. Parts. Exclamation points <laughs> are poor substitutes for nonverbal communication. The best thing is to choose your words carefully and kindly and let them do the talking. These are good. We're reading right now uh, from Preemptive Love, seven things you should do to wage peace in the comment section. Number five, show respect. Tone is tricky to navigate, especially in digital conversations. Again, the screen that separates you from the other person also eliminates 93% of your ability to communicate. But do your best to communicate with a respectful tone. Try thinking of someone who always speaks, you always, uh, who always speak to respectfully, your boss, your grandma, your mentor. Then write your comment in the same way you would speak to that person if they were standing right in front of you. That's good. These last two, I think, are really important. Number six, stick to the facts, ditch the snark. 
Uh, anger and sarcasm can be cathartic. Your brain releases dopamine whenever you uh, whenever you have what feels like a successful social media interaction. When you feel like you just won the argument on Facebook with your witty takedown, that's what anger and sarcasm. That's why it's so hard to resist online. But a short term dopamine hit is not worth the long term hit to the relationship. Mm. That's really good. Uh, anger and sarcasm can often distract from your point and even counteract your words, even if you make the most compelling argument possible. If you do it with a snarky tone, that's the only thing the other person will remember. I want to do like a back to the future thing and go back to the 1950s and use the phrase ditch the snark and see if they'd be able to figure it out. I played bass and ditch the snark. <laughs> Last one, debate ideas, not people. Yes, this applies to everyone. The person you're responding to, famous politicians, everyone. Focus your critique on policies and actions. Advocate for your point of view. But remember, attacking people is never loving or respectful. It's easier to forget the humanity of the other person when there is a screen between you. Again, so many of these are obvious and easier said than done. And I just want to end with this, too. We got a little time left. Yep. Um, we cannot bomb our way to peace. We cannot shout, troll, or shame our way to common ground on the Internet. If you want to push back hate, if you really want to make a difference, approach the conversation and especially the person with love. Most of all, remember that no amount of online peacemaking can replace the peacemaking we do offline, mm-hmm. face-to-face. There's also a way to draw closer to one another in our communities, in our neighborhoods. We can gather in person with that person. That's how we can really heal what's tearing us apart. That's really good. Yeah. And, and B, ditch the snark. <laughs> ditch the snark. <laughs> Coming up next, we're going to want to talk about Tim Tebow and something that he does every year. It happened this past weekend yep. uh, that is really impressive and really amazing. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Back to the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy to have you joining us on this Tuesday evening. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. We are grateful for those of you who podcast. And uh, even earlier in the show, your friend John Wentz, who was fabulous. That thing, yeah, he's phenomenal. You, you have you have good you have much better connections to fascinating people. I, don't I know think that's true. I think we have equal we have equal connections. But uh, but even I don't even know if you picked it up. In the, in the time he was with us, he didn't mention our show. He mentioned our podcast, and it's fun for how many people are out there who love the podcast and who listen to it. We're grateful for you, and uh, go ahead and share it with somebody else. Go ahead and share it. So. Do you find that saying go ahead and is a helpful way of uh, encouraging people to do something? I don't know. But I, I go it ahead feels and... like the boss in Office Space. Shoot. Have you seen Office Space? <laughs> no. I'll put that one on my hand as well. <laughs> if you could go ahead and come in on Saturday, that's the that's uh, the line he always oh, really? is like depicted as a that's the way a boss would say something. Why don't you go ahead and uh, <laughs> Hey what hey buddy? Stay an extra hour. Ahead. Right, right. <laughs> uh yeah, no, I don't know. Probably not. It's probably just a uh, probably just a verbal crutch. <laughs> so we we do appreciate those of you who listen to the podcast and uh, go ahead and uh, oh I just said it again. Tell other people about it. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> so so Raz and I are just going for a straight no, command. Do it. <laughs> do it. Go right do now. it right now. You're turning the wrong direction. That's away from kindness. <laughs> uh, Tim Tebow. So we've talked about Tim Tebow many times on this show. People may not know this. He's you and I, when we first started the show, we gave our producers a, uh, like, uh, 
what would it be for Moby Dick, the white whale? Like, yeah. who's who's the, who give us a small list of, like, these are going to be really difficult people to find, but if, if we could ever have them on the show. And I threw out Tim Tebow. You sure did. I did. And he's still coming sometime. We can feel it. Well, here's the thing. They're not difficult to find. They're difficult to. They're difficult to get on your show. They're Correct. very easy to find. They're always, they're always, they're the always in the, yeah, right. I know exactly where he is. They're all over the place. So if you ever hear, are listening to the show one day and we're like, Tim Tebow's coming on, you'll know. that we. Or if you're world. listening and you are Tim Tebow. Please come on. <laughs> Please. You're Brian's white whale, apparently. If you know Tim Tebow, let us know. Do athletes like to be compared to whales? Is, is, that-, that, is that still a common known saying? Because that's from Moby Dick, right? The white whale? I feel like Moby Dick has some stay power. Yeah. So when you say that's my white whale, people know what you're talking about. I don't know. I feel like Friends, uh, he's her lobster is probably more popular than white <laughs> white whale. If I'm going uh, sea creature affection, that's, that's a good I could be wrong. I don't know. So anyway, Tim Tebow, <laughs> uh, he does this every year, and it was this past weekend. Uh, it's called the Night to Shine Prom. So Tim Tebow, uh, he hosts something called the Night to Shine Prom, and uh, it honors special needs teenagers. Uh, And Tim Tebow, it says, the article begins this way. Tim Tebow's favorite night of the year has finally arrived. Uh, The outspoken Christian athlete and his wife, Demi Lee Nell Peters, uh, visited three international locations ahead of Friday's Night to Shine events, in which more than 720 churches across the United States and in more than 30 countries host more than 115,000 guests age 14 and up, all of them with special needs. Tebow said, we have decided to go out of our way to make the biggest, the most special night of the year for people with special needs because they're worth it and they're special. Over 200,000 volunteers have prepared for the sixth annual celebration where wow. they rolled out the red carpet literally and guests were met with cheering paparazzi. The girls got their makeup done and the boys, their shoes shined. They then joined together for a catered dinner with party favors and activities, including dancing and karaoke. The highlight of the night comes when each of the guests is honored. When each of the honored guests is crowned prom king or prom queen, as everybody cheers. And every year you see this uh, come around and there'll be news reports about it. Uh, but what? Uh, before I get into kind of my thoughts about the type of person who would do this, um, what a cool event and what a honoring event. And you do. You gave a wow when reading 115,000 guests, 200,000 volunteers uh, to make the this night for special needs teenagers that much more special. What a, what a really cool event. Yeah, I don't know if I've just been under a rock. I didn't realize it was that big. And it feels like this year in particular, I saw a bunch of friends who are pastors and leaders uh, globally writing about yeah. it. Our friends at 242 in Michigan Is that right? had hosted it. I have a, a buddy overseas who was posting pictures of him and Tim Tebow. So like... We're one step closer, You're Brian. Closer. I, sh- I should have written my friend. Six like, degrees of Kevin Bacon. Did Here you get go. his cell phone number? <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we had a, a show this time last year, and I don't remember us talking about it. Maybe we mm-hmm. did. But for whatever reason, this year uh, feels like it really picked up some steam. And I think, um, again, and we talk about this often in light of you know how much heartache and tragedy and, and just tough things that we talk about. Uh, it is really good to have a story of humanity just saying yeah, this is this is worth putting some energy and dollars towards. This yeah. is like a and I think, you know, I know plenty of people will probably I don't know. T- they're not the biggest Tim Tebow fans or they're maybe not even necessarily church people or Jesus people like this is the kind of thing that we can all say 
all right, this is this is some of the best of humanity yes. to have you know a celebration like this. Absolutely. So there's a picture in this article of Thibaut um, celebrating the first ever night to shine in Paris. So it's gone to Paris. Uh, there's one of him in Albania. Uh, and so it really is worldwide. And like you said, some of the bigger churches in our country, you said uh, 242 in Michigan, Elevation Church in Charlotte, uh, Liquid Church out in New Jersey. Oh, I know those guys. All of yeah. them. Tebow was there for that one. Um, all of them hosting this uh, Night to Shine event. And I do think, um, like you said, Tim Tebow can be a pretty polarizing person uh, culturally. Uh, partially because of how he's described here, right? The outspoken Christian athlete. Uh, some people don't enjoy how outspoken he is. Sure. Um, and, uh, he, you know, especially uh, when he was a player at the University of Florida, he was he was always held up, always out there. And, and so people have opinions about Tim Tebow. But I do think this speaks a lot to who he is as a person yeah. to say, you know what, the Tim Tebow Foundation, this is where we're going to put our time and put our money to helping special needs kids. And for me, when I read stories like this, like you, you know, you might need the backing of somebody like Tim Tebow, like with that name recognition to make this go globally. But all of us can go, you know what, this is what I'm passionate about. And I'm going to think strategically and creatively about how to make a difference. Like, obviously this just started from a dream somewhere, uh, and now it's this worldwide movement. And so it does challenge me to go, okay, what can I or what can our church be doing in order to bless people uh, with no strings attached? Not looking for right. them to bless us back, but to just be a blessing. I, this is just a really encouraging event in that way. Well, my buddy uh, Altin Kita, who is the lead pastor of ICF Tirana, which is in Albania, was posting photos of him with Tim Tebow and talking really? about what I, yeah. And I... I'm curious what, I mean, we only got a couple of minutes, but like, I do feel like sometimes there's a disconnect when we read stories like this because it feels like, well, the only way to pull that off is to be a super mega celebrity mm -hmm. with billions of dollars. What would you say to the person who was stirred by the event or stirred by events like this and is maybe feeling like, yeah, but what could I do though? I can't yeah. launch a thing where 200,000 volunteers are yeah. mobilized. Like, how would you encourage someone to take a step in the right direction toward you know, bringing out some of the best of humanity, even if they don't have yep. the leverage and platform that Tim Tebow does. That's a great question. I think one answer to that is it sure looks like a lot of churches or organizations are linking to the bigger organization. Right. So right. there's that. Right. But two, I would say, uh, you know, let's let's say that you're stirred and you want to make a difference in your community, specifically around special needs kids, teenagers like he is here. Uh, and, and you're like, well, I can't make this go worldwide, but you can make a difference in your community. So maybe reach out to a school and say, right, hey, right. is there anything that we could do? And, and you just I think the more doors you open, the more doors that become open. And so right. how can I make a difference in my community around X, whether it be special needs, teenagers or whether it be homelessness or right, whether it right. be poverty, whatever else it might be. I don't think the goal needs to be, gosh, I can't get something to get started in Albania or whatever. Maybe the goal is. I just want to do this in my community yeah. and be a blessing. And then I do think the doors open up. I do think there are ways to make that happen. I think that's good, man. I think the to the invitation to like link arms to with what yeah. somebody else sometimes, especially in church world, don't you feel like there's sometimes so sometimes yeah, it's territorial or like this hyper obsession with like no, it's got to be our thing. Yes. So we our reproduce name. something that's already happening in the, in the community, so we can have our brand on it. Like mm. can we. Let go a little bit of that. It doesn't have to have your church's stamp on it. Like, join what good work is being done in your community and come alongside. Sometimes I think that's a better ministry to our cities than it is like, oh, it's got to be our thing that yes. we're launching and yes. saying, man, you guys down the road 
are doing great work in the city. How can we leverage and come alongside you? I think, I think it's really important. Yeah. So read the article and uh, you may have seen news clips on it. Just uh, an event that makes us feel good about humanity. Every now and then we do stories that don't make us feel good about humanity, but this is one that makes us feel good. Well, coming up next, we are going to land this plane. We are going to end this show the same way we do every day with interweb insanities. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. That music can only mean one thing. It means that we are at the end of the show. Interweb Insanity, uh, where our producers have found uh, stories from the internet. They're supposed to be funny. Sometimes they make us cringe. But the important part is that we don't know. We don't know before we read them. So if you are uh, insulted, we're, we're right there with you. We are team you. We're there. I don't know. What was the story yesterday? You're like, yeah, but what if the baby cubs ate the puppies? <laughs> like, you don't seem that insulted. You were making the story worse. <laughs> Just projecting what I thought could happen. <laughs> yes, if it went that route. All right, you go first. I think it's more predicting than projecting, but that is true. Wait, what do I know? I don't. Okay, Florida. Florida mom tackles otter to save teenage daughter dog from attack. Huh? Teenage daughter. Oh, shouldn't that say and dog from attack? Yeah, but it's a headline, and headlines don't follow the same grammatical rules, I guess. Florida mom tackles otter to save teenage daughter, dog, from attack. (laughs) I'd say that could be read to be like a big insult of the daughter, or... Oh, wouldn't it? Brian... Oh, gosh, let me just read it. All right. (laughs) (sighs) An otter in Florida learned not to mess with mom when it attacked a 17-year-old and her dog and got thrown out of the family's house for its trouble. Gwen Ewart, 17, left the family's French bulldog scooter out on the back porch just before dawn Tuesday in Lakeland, Florida. She panicked when she heard fighting coming from the porch. I sprinted to the back door and was like, Scooter! All I saw was like a big black ball just all over the place. So he stumbled in the door and I tried to shut it as fast as possible, but then the otter got stuck. The commotion woke the whole house and Gwen's mother... Casina Ewart burst in, tackling the otter. He and the dog are in a big, tangled tumbleweed spinning around, Casina Ewart said. I snatched it by the tail, and then I held it up like a prize. The otter's going crazy. It was clawing at me and grabbing on the backs of the furniture in my house. <laughs> That's the most foul, cruel, and bad-tempered rodent you ever set eyes on. What's he do? Nibble your bum? He's got seeds, sharp. He can leap about. Look at the bones. I just picture her holding it up, being like, yes! That's good. <laughs> Next one's out of New York. 
to hell and back. Ex-Satanist claims he went to hell, converted to Christianity. Well, that'll do it. Ex-Satanist John Ramirez shocked the world when he claimed his discovery of hell in 2014. Ramirez claims he went to hell and that the devil was trying to end his life before God stepped in and protected him. In an exclusive interview, Ramirez tells News 12 that he was trained to be a satanic to be a satanic cult, high-ranking priest in New York City that cast powerful rich witchcraft spells and controlled entire regions. The question is, what exactly led Ramirez to hell in the first place? He says it all stems from an early age. He says he grew up despising his father for his careless disregard to his family. Oh. He said also, is this supposed to be funny? Like, yeah, this is kind of heavy. Always, what's the drop He also be? says his father was the first to introduce him to Satanism. Ramirez says he remembers his father setting their living room on fire to perform rituals and Whoa. more. I'll never turn to the dark side. Just for that? Yeah. <laughs> That one to me feels like the, uh, the the sound effect was driving the story. Yes, I don't I don't want to make uh, predictions, but yeah, John's just smiling and laughing, yeah. saying that's ac- that's accurate. All right, Mexico uh, critic accidentally destroys twenty thousand dollar artwork at Mexico Fair. Jeez Louise, an art critic has destroyed a contemporary piece at Mexico's premier art fair, sparking a debate about what constitutes art. Critic Evelina Lesper said that she accidentally shattered the installation on Saturday at the Zona Maco Art Fair in Mexico City when she placed an empty soda can near it to express her disdain for the piece, a sheet of glass with a stone soccer ball and other random objects suspended inside. The display was by Mexican artist Gabriel Rico, who contrasts objects made by humans, such as a tennis ball, with objects found in nature, such as feathers and rocks. It was like the work heard my comment and felt what I thought of, Lesper said in a video statement for Milenio, a Mexico media group that publishes her columns. The work shattered into pieces and collapsed and then fell onto the floor. That was really stupid. That's a bit nerve-wracking, though. Yes, yes. Uh, Oregon, the endangered wolf that walked 8,712 miles to find love. You think the sound effect's going to be, and I would walk 500 miles? Oh, that won't be a bad one. That's not bad. A young female gray wolf bid goodbye to her family, left home, and crossed the state line into California to find love. That was in January of 2018. For the next two years, the wolf, known by scientists uh, OR54, wandered through mountains and pastures, occasionally killing livestock for food. Along the way, scientists tracked OR54's movements through a radio transmitter collar. Twice she went home to her parents in Oregon, perhaps complaining of the lack of dates. She even crossed the state line into Nevada last fall. All the while, she kept walking an average of 13 miles per day in search of a mate. Leaving home is a normal thing for a young wolf, uh, a biologist, Amarok Weiss, said at the Environmental Not-for-Profit Center for Biological Diversity. When wolves get to one and a half to two years old, they are striking out from their birth pack. They are out there looking for mates and territory of their own. That's good. It's weird that it was a song. We don't find if it found love. Still wandering? Come on, OR54. You can do better than that. (laughs) Come on, OR54. Maybe it's not OR, maybe it's just OR. No, that's OR. What are you, what are you, 53? (laughs) Or 54? (laughs) No? All right. Last but not least, Florida. Florida City moves to change code for emotional support chickens. The city of St. Augustine Beach is looking to amend its code to allow for emotional support animal requests, allowing the family of a nine-year-old boy with disabilities to keep his eight chickens at their residence. Aw. 
the need arose after Jennifer Wildeson requested a variant hearing in front of the Planning and Zoning Board to allow her to keep chickens for her son, who has a traumatic brain injury. City code prohibits the keeping of bees, insects, reptiles, pigs, horses, cattle, goats, hogs, or poultry. Poultry. At the PZB meeting in November, the board discussed how a variance was not the appropriate route to allow for the exception of the city code. The board voted unanimously to deny the variance, but approved the request, allowing Wilson to keep the chickens. Do the chickens have large talons? (laughs) What? Large talons. I don't understand a word you just said. The only movie I've ever seen twice in the theaters. Really? Mm -hmm. Napoleon Dynamite is a wonderful movie. Wonderful movie. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.